This morning, we're wrapping up our Greater Than series, series that's been dedicated to kind of looking at and navigating the different messages that you hear on a daily basis, the messages that maybe our world's culture is pushing on you each and every single day, and we're weighing that against God's word. God's purposes, God's plan. We're, we're kind of asking, what are, what are some of the popular messages of today? And how does that stack up against what God has to say about our livelihood, the way that we carry out our relationships, both with him and with others? And so today's final message of this series is titled, Fruitful is Greater Than Successful. Fruitful is Greater Than Successful. Living a fruitful life is more important to God than living a successful life. And on the front end, I think we can just pause and recognize that as Christians, you know, explaining someone's life as fruitful is a little weird to people who are outside of the faith. You know what I'm talking about? If you're new to Christianity or you're here just exploring the faith, I realize that comparing your life to growing fruit can be a little strange. The first time I heard this phrase, I was in college and I instantly drummed up ideas of Christians living like off the grid on a commune, growing apples and strawberries and just singing Kumbaya. And I didn't really know what to do with this fruitful concept. I thought it was an odd phrase, but it's a very biblical phrase. And we shouldn't be afraid or, or shouldn't be timid to use biblical phrases. Just have to realize that if you're talking with people that don't have the same faith grid as you, you might need to curve the language just so that they understand it a little bit. But it is a very biblical phrase. In fact, many of the writers of the Bible used everyday examples to parallel our lives with spiritual truths. They used concrete everyday things that they saw and they, they used those to compare uh, to what our hearts and what our lives should look like. There's two examples that I want to open up this morning, two different authors or, or speakers, teachers, I guess I should say. One from the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus speaking to his disciples, and one, a New Testament church planner and writer, Paul, who also talked about fruit. In Matthew 7, the quote from Jesus, he's, he's basically, he's gathered a lot of his disciples and followers, and he begins to speak to them about what they should be seeing in the lives of the leaders around them. But even though he's speaking to leaders, I think it applies to each and every one of us because the same concept of the types of things we should be growing applies to leaders of the day as well as to us. This is what it says in Matthew 7, starting in verse 17. A good tree, Jesus says, produces good fruit. And a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit and a bad tree can't produce good fruit. So every tree that does not produce good fruit is chopped down and thrown into the fire. Yes, just as you can identify a tree by its fruit, so you can identify people by their actions. Jesus is basically saying that we're all like trees. He's comparing us to trees that produce fruit. Some good, some bad. And although you might be able to fake it for a little while, eventually your life will be found out because a bad tree can't produce good fruit over the long haul. Paul, who's another writer in the New Testament, actually gave us a list of these fruits, a list of things that we could be aiming for as Christians, as followers of Jesus. These types of things should follow us around our lives. It's a, it's a common scripture referred to as the fruit of the spirit in Galatians 5, and 23, where Paul gives us this list, but the Holy Spirit, spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, 
kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I mean, this is a powerful, powerful list, an amazing list of things that will naturally be produced in our lives if we partner with God in the growing of fruit. But if you look at that list and you just, you just kind of gaze and just randomly draw your eyes over the different words you see, you realize pretty quickly that our culture doesn't necessarily reward things like that. There's an occasional case where love will be elevated or we describe someone as just a very patient human being. But most often, I think you would agree with me that our culture emphasizes success more than it does fruit. We love success in our culture. We love achievements in our culture, what you can produce, different titles and positions that you've climbed to in the corporate realm. We are seen as successful then if we've accomplished maybe more than the person to our right or to our left. And it happens at an early age. If your SAT or ACT score is higher than the student in your classroom, then all of a sudden you have a leg up on them. You've achieved more than them, but it continues in the workplace. If you get promoted or you get a raise, If you somehow grow your client list or you have a larger bank account, these are things that we typically reward in our culture. We celebrate success. You could hop on amazon.com right now. I actually have a link on our weekly program. You click that button, you'll find over 100,000 different book titles on success. And some of them are far out there. Like do not buy most of those books. They're crazy. If you look on Amazon at Fruit of the Spirit, the list is less than 3,000. And actually, as you investigate that list, you realize most of them are stickers for Sunday school teachers and like biblically themed chewies, (laughs) fruit snacks. I need to get some of those. Get my fruit of the spirit for the day. And of course, right? I mean, I'm not saying that success is bad. I like success. You guys are learning this about, I'm a competitive guy. I like success. I like achievements. I want to produce big goals for God. And I want to see those, uh, the ripple effect of our church to impact truly the world. And I want to see that in my own life. I want to see success in my own heart as I stand before God that I've stewarded everything that he's given to me in a great way. I want my children to grow up and be successful participants of our society But there's an interesting thing. It's a a slippery slope because when you begin to put your identity only in success or when you begin to put your identity in success instead of fruit, your identity in Christ is, is really unbalanced. You can have a disordered attachment to success and then all of a sudden your identity will start to rest in your achievements. And pretty soon you actually have a direct correlation between how you're succeeding in life and how you securely feel on the inside. So if you're doing well, you, you feel good about yourself. If you grow your client list, if you, if you increase your business, if you get the bonus, if you grow your retirement count, all of a sudden you can feel more and more secure about who you are. But if you have a bad month or a bad quarter or a bad year, you can start to feel real down on yourself because your identity is tied to your success, not the fruit that grow, is growing in your life. You become like a reed tossed in the wind, always depending on what you're producing instead of what you're growing. And because our culture says that success is greater than fruit in such a powerful and consistent way, this is affecting the church. It's absolutely affecting the church. I can't tell you how many conversations I've been in with other pastors where the first thing they ask about is the three B's. 
If you've never heard about the three Bs, I'm gonna pull back the curtain. You're gonna know a little bit about what, how, how pastors sometimes talk, okay? Butts, budgets, and buildings. How many butts are in the seats? What's the budget look like? Is it healthy? And how is your building? And I'm so tired of this conversation, actually. It's, it's actually a more of a reflection of our culture than it is the kingdom of God. And so finally, last time I was in one of these conversations, I just said, you know what? I, I'm actually not really interested in talking to you about how many people came to our Easter service, but can I talk to you about how I see community growing in our church? Can I talk to you about how I see love and just the, the base level of love just growing and growing and people praying for each other in and between services? Can I talk to you about how we're serving the poor all around us? These are the things, these are the markers, these types of fruits, not just this man-made, man-created idea of success. It's absolutely affecting how we raise our kids too. We lead with success questions instead of fruit questions. This is my life just two weeks ago, right? This is, we are in this together. Whenever you preach a message, God has a way of pointing something in your own life. My kids, my two older kids, I have three. My two older are at Tavelli Elementary. And on Tuesday mornings, they're in this thing called Running Club. Whoever created this is a genius. The kids just run laps before school starts. And then they go into classroom nice and tired. And they like all, the, right? I mean, brilliant. So my kids want to do this. And, and on Tuesday night, we were having dinner. And I asked them, how many laps did you run? That was the first question. In terms of how your day was, how many laps did you run? Did you run more laps or less laps than last week? Like, are you succeeding in the Tavelli running club as a second grader <laughs> and kindergartner? That's what I'm leading with. And I, it, it dawned on me, so I pivoted. It's like, no, no, academics, right? Acad How many books did you read today? <laughs> Literally came out of my mouth. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm 0 for 2. 0 for 2. These kids are in elementary school, and I'm already pushing it because it's part of our culture, and it's, and it's become part of me. It took me probably 10 minutes to ask a question like, how did you treat your friends today? Or when you were on the playground, how did you, how did you act like Jesus? These are fruitful questions, but that was like back burner for me. Success was front burner, even at this young of an age. And again, there's nothing wrong with celebrating success. We, like, I want to give my kids high fives and hugs for how they're trying hard and pushing through some of those things. And even Jesus made goals of literally reaching the ends of the earth. We're not afraid of success as Christians, but we're just saying that even though, even when the culture says success is greater than fruit, we have to say fruit is greater than success. That's our call. Fruit is greater than success. You're more than what you do. You are more than what your bank account says. You're more than what you can accomplish. Our culture will try to tell you you're only as good as your last test score. They'll try to tell you you're only as good as, your, as the length of your client list. And so when that grows, you somehow grow, but when it shrinks, you somehow shrink. But that's simply not a biblical message. It's a cultural message. I want to take a look at another text and pull some truths out of it from 
the text this morning. It's, a, it's probably one of my favorite books in the Bible. The text is going to be in John 15. John is one of the gospels. It's the last gospel of the four. So it records the teachings and life of Jesus when he was walking on earth. In John 15 verses one through five, Jesus is again talking about this idea of fruit. He's again kind of paralleling our lives to some really concrete examples and, and using them to teach us about spiritual truths. And I think as we navigate this text, we can pull out a few realities, a few truths that will be applied to your life when fruit is your focus, not success. We can look at this scripture and we can see what happens to our lives when fruit is our focus, not success. John 15 verses one through five. Jesus is teaching and he says, I am the true grapevine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit and he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so they will produce even more. You have already been pruned and purified by the message I have given you. Remain in me and I will remain in you for a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Verse five. Yes, I am the vine. You are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit for apart from me, you can do nothing. This is an amazing passage. John is one of my favorite gospels. John, I say that about a lot of the Bible or books of the Bible, but really, truly John is one of my favorites. And John 15, you could probably, we could probably design a four or five week series on this chapter alone. It's so rich in its symbolism. I want to talk about a few things as we settle into the text, knowing that I'm going to have to leave some off of the table this morning. The first thing that I notice is, is actually a point of omission in the text. It's something that's not explicitly said in the text, but because our culture has taught us so much about success being greater than fruit, that we read this truth into the text and it's simply not there. It's simply not there. Here's point number one. Your immaturity doesn't disqualify you. Your immaturity doesn't disqualify you. Can I submit to you this morning that we all have areas of immaturity? Are we, are we that far along in the relationship yet where I can say, hey, we, we all have areas where we could grow. We all have areas of our heart that maybe don't exactly look like Jesus. They're immature in their spiritual likeness to Christ. And he's inviting us to become more and more like him. But it's okay because your immaturity doesn't disqualify you. There's nowhere in this text where Jesus is teaching and he looks at his disciples and he says, but you know what, your baby fruit? It doesn't really count. You know, you, that immature part of your life, yeah, like just come back in a couple of years and we'll talk about that, right? Jesus doesn't say those things, but somehow because the, the way the culture narrative is working, we can sometimes read that into the text and we begin the dangerous comparison game where we say, well, they're more spiritually mature than I am, so then my, my stuff just must not count. Or they're being celebrated in their, in their sharing of their faith or the way that they're growing their spiritual dynamic in their family. And I'm really struggling, so God must just not care about what I'm doing. That's not true. That's not what he's saying in this text. But somehow we stick it between the lines and we read that into our existence and our relationship with Jesus. But your immaturity doesn't disqualify you. We tend to do this because... Again, we tend to tie our identity with how we're performing and what we're producing. 
And if you haven't learned this yet, I'm going to tell you a really hard secret. There's always going to be somebody doing more. There's always going to be somebody doing more. But this text, like God isn't viewing the lens of this text on your life with five other spiritual giants next to you. He's just looking at you. And he's just inviting you to grow. He's just saying, I actually celebrate that fruit. You might call it immature, but I just call it fruit. Now let me help it grow. We call immature fruit immature, but God just calls it fruit. My wife and I planted a peach tree a couple of years ago, actually like seven years ago. And the first year it was probably three feet tall. We planted it in the ground and it didn't grow anything. But we didn't go out to our front yard and point at the tree and say, stupid tree, why, do, why don't you grow fruit? That would be really weird. We would lose all of our friendships in our neighborhood instantly, <laughs> right? But that's not what you do when you plant something, is it? You don't curse the tree that you planted because it's not producing fruit. Year two, it grew about a foot or two. And it started to grow peaches. We were so excited. But by the time we hit the, the heat of the summer, it just didn't have the strength to keep on the peaches. And so they shriveled up and they slowly started falling off the tree. Again, we didn't go out to our front yard and we say, oh, dumb tree. Why can't you be like your older brother? Why can't you be like your coworker? Why can't you be like this leader or that pastor or that person? You don't say things like that, but we say those things to ourselves. And what God, I think, wants to say to some of you, what he wants to release some of you from this morning is this idea that somehow immature fruit disqualifies you from partnering with God. It doesn't. God calls immature fruit fruit. He's interested in growing it. He's interested in building you up but he's not a harsh God who's just going to point at that and say, come back in three years. It's not how he works. Immature fruit is still fruit. Second, you're called to remain. You are called to remain. I love this text partly because it tells you what you need to be about. You need to be about growing fruit, but it also tells you how to do it. It tells you how to do it. You, you grow and develop fruit by remaining in Christ. I want to highlight just how important this is to, to Jesus uh, from this text this morning. There's just a variety of texts in a row. I won't throw these up on the screen, so hang with me. Uh, 15 verse 4, remain in me. A little bit later, I will remain in you. You can't produce fruit outside of me. Verse five, those who remain in me. Verse six, anyone who does not remain in me. Verse seven, but if you remain in me. Verse nine, remain in my love. Verse 10, remain in my love. Over and over, it gives me a lot of hope that I can just repeat myself because I'm being like Jesus. <laughs> he didn't care about repeating himself. He's emphasizing the point. Remaining in Christ is one of the key an essential ingredients to growing fruit in your life. You simply can't do it any other way. And the list is really long on ways, like really practical ways that you actually can remain in him. And it's all the basic stuff, right? Like worshiping together as a community, being in small group, reading the word of God, spending time in prayer, 
serving, get, all of these areas are things that remain, help you remain in Christ. I just want to highlight one that I think God highlighted for me as I was praying and, and preparing for this message. Now, I don't know how many people this will apply to, but I think it's going to apply to a number of us. I think one of the ways that God wants to highlight this morning, ways that we can remain in him is through forgiveness. Through forgiveness. And some of you might be experiencing the squeeze between the vine and the branches right now. Your life with God just doesn't feel all like it's cut out to be. You're maybe not experiencing the type of life and fruit that you're aiming for. And I think God might be saying that for some of us, it might be because we're living with a fair amount of unforgiveness in our hearts. And he's inviting you this morning to forgive as Christ has forgiven to forgive as Christ has forgiven. I'm, I'm prayerfully hoping that even right now, as I say that, that, that God might actually be bringing a few names to your heart. Because as we move into ministry time later today, you might get a chance to just forgive them. To say, God, I don't even know how to start, but I want to start. I want to be like you. And if unforgiveness is squeezing down the connection that I have with you, then I want to open it back up through forgiveness today. Final thought from this verse and final thought for this morning. When fruit is your focus, your failures have meaning. Your failures aren't just failures. Your failures don't have to define you personally. Your failures have meaning. If you're a follower of Christ, when you fail, there can be a variety of different things in play and as we learn from this text, one of them might actually be God. And this might be a foreign concept for some of you who've never heard this, but verse two says it plainly. He, speaking of God, cuts off every branch that doesn't bear fruit. And he prunes the branches that do bear fruit so they will produce even more. Have you ever been pruned? Have you ever been cut back? where it feels like the ways that you've been producing fruit in your life are all of a sudden just taken away and you, you actually don't know how you're going to grow fruit anymore. Have you ever done seemingly everything the right way and you still don't have any fruit? Like I've been worshiping you, God. I've been spending time in prayer. I've been seeking you. I've been showing up. I've been faithful in the small things and the big things. And still it feels like there's no fruit to show from it. God, what is going on? This might be a season of pruning. You're staying connected to God. You're staying connected to his ways. And yet still you're experiencing loss. Yet still you're experiencing failure. Yet still you're experiencing a cutback. I'm not talking about failure because you've made a lot of bad decisions. That's a different text. But those times when you are doing the right things, you're partnering with God, you're following him as best as you possibly can. And yet still you feel that sense of loss. That's pruning. Bankruptcy, foreclosure, the loss of a job or a relationship can actually all be pruning. It might, it might be bad decisions, but it, it could be pruning. 
And, the, and what you have to do is you have to navigate those seasons really carefully. You have to navigate those seasons with actually a lot of faith and trust that God has your best intentions in his mind. Because if you notice from the text, he's the vine dresser. He's the one cutting you back. And it says, so that you'll grow more fruit in the future. See, God has this uncanny way of seeing the end from the beginning. And he knows that there might be momentary troubles in your life. But if you can withstand that season of pruning, the promise is more fruit in the lifetime to come. And it might be six months from now. It might be six years from now. It might be 16 years from now. I can't tell you how long that season of pruning will last, but I can promise you that the word of God says it's purposeful. God does it so you'll grow more fruit. I remember one of the biggest failures of my life. It's probably the, the ministry that my wife and I helped launch after graduating college. This should help you to know that your lead pastor has failed miserably at the first ministry he tried to do. And every time I tell this story, like people are like, well, Jeff, don't be so hard on yourself. You're not a failure. And I say, I agree with you. I don't feel like a failure from this, but there were absolutely seasons where I did. And if you just honestly look at the organization and the thing that we tried to do, it failed. It ceased to exist. And we had a good run. We had seven years of fundraising and ministry in the inner city of Kansas City. And we saw a lot of great things happen, but it ultimately, it stopped and we had to move on. It failed. And in those moments, the enemy will try to speak lies to you. The world around you will again try to emphasize success over fruit. And you have to be careful in your prayer life, in your relationships, even as you interpret scripture through this season of feeling dry and cut off, how you read what you read. Because pretty soon you can begin to define everything around you the way the world does. Success is greater than fruit. You need God's perspective to show you the fruit that you've been growing over those seasons. And so it was a good friend of mine who came alongside of Natalie and I and said, let's focus on what God did during that season. Not the start and the finish of the ministry, but instead let's talk about the fruit that you saw. And we saw incredible fruit. We saw peace grow in our neighborhood. We saw shootings decrease in our neighborhood. We saw people leave the gang lifestyle and give their life to Christ. We saw people leave the promiscuity that our culture pushes and get married. We saw individuals go to college and get jobs. We saw families united. And maybe more than anything, we saw God do things in our hearts. I mean, God is the multitask master where he can be working in your neighborhood and at the same time developing and working in your heart. Our lives are forever changed because of those seven years spent in the urban core. We are different leaders today because of that season, even though it ended in failure but we needed God's definition and we needed God's spiritual and kingdom worldview to rearrange our values from success greater than fruit to fruit greater than success. And I believe that for some of you this morning, God might be interested in redirecting some of those lies that you've been telling yourself, redirecting some of the truth and some of the perspective that he sees this last season of your life through. 
It's not a failure. The thing might have failed. You might be experiencing loss. You might be experiencing a pruning season. And I don't want to say that that isn't hard. It is incredibly hard to go through that season. But my promise to you is the promise straight from Jesus's mouth. He's doing it so that you will grow more fruit in the future. God's ways are just simply above our ways. The kingdom culture has more to offer than the kingdom of the world around you. And that's what this series has been about. Looking at these cultural messages, looking at what the world is trying to sell you and instead asking God, what do you say? What do you say about my heart? What do you say about the world around me? And how can I partner with that message above all other messages? Fruit is greater than success. Let's pray.